Good morning, ARC. How y'all doing this morning? Praise God. Praise God. Well, ARC, it's a privilege to be here this morning to worship with you, to open up God's Word, to look at the Scriptures together. And as I was walking up here, I was just thinking of what a privilege it is to actually talk to our Heavenly Father. That's absolutely stunning that we can talk to the God of the universe, that sinful beings like us, but because we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, can talk to the God of the universe. It's amazing. As we um, go forward, let's keep that in mind as we go forward with this service, as we sing to him, as we listen to his word, and as we pray, let's keep in mind that we're able to commune with the God of the universe because of Jesus Christ. So as I pray now, please join me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to even be breathing right now. Thank you, God, for the, the warm blood that is running through our veins. The breath and the life that we have in our body has been given by you. And Father, we gather today to worship you. Our bodies are not our own. We've been purchased with a price. That price was the bloodshed of your son. We gather this morning to worship him, to magnify his name, to sing praises unto him, to bring our hearts and to surrender them fully afresh this morning. I pray that you would give us the grace to do that. Lord, the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Father, I pray that you would teach us how to pray. Teach us how to commune with you. Teach us how to talk with you. Teach us how to adore you, how to reverence you, how to treasure you, how to cherish you. I pray that you would teach us more of that in these next three weeks. I pray that you would teach us now. Teach me as I preach. Teach the listeners as they hear. Oh God, give us yourself. Instruct us through your word. Give us soft hearts to be able to hear your word. Give us open ears to be able to receive your word. Give us the grace to be able to live out your word and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us to be able to proclaim your word. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be, like, be acceptable in your sight. 
Have your way now, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And from my understanding, I don't think we have any more Bibles. I think we ran out of Bibles, and that's a good thing um, that we ran out of Bibles to pass out. But being that we don't have any Bibles to pass out this morning, if you don't have a Bible, could you just look on um, to, to your neighbor next to you? Um, look on with that brother or sister and Um, I would ask if you have a Bible, and if there's someone sitting next to you that doesn't have one, if you could just share with them. All right. Let's look at Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. And the Bible reads this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. Today we're going to work through these 16 verses, and my hope is that the Lord would pour out grace upon us to understand these verses um, in a way that we may have not understood them before. Um, The Lord's Prayer is pretty familiar to a lot of people. I think if I was to ask um, you to recite the Lord's Prayer, I think a lot of you would be able to stand up and recite the Lord's Prayer. But just because we can recite the Lord's Prayer doesn't necessarily mean that we really understand what it means. I've been able to recite the Lord's Prayer for years now, but I, to be honest with you, there's things that I learned in my study that I had never knew before. Um, 
And also, just to be honest with you, there's times when, when I said it, when it was just words, but it wasn't truly sincere. And my prayer is that the Lord's Prayer, or I think a better title would be the Disciples' Prayer, would be something that we pray with a true reality of what it really means. And the first four verses, Jesus teaches us how not to pray first. And then in the next five verses, Jesus then teaches us how we should pray. So first four verses, he teaches us how not to pray. And then the five verses after that, he teaches us how we should pray. So let's look at verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. Look at the very beginning of this verse. It says, and when you pray. It's very clear that Jesus expects his disciples to pray. He doesn't say, if you pray, or when you think about praying, but he says, when you pray, because he expects followers of him to be people of prayer, people who devote themselves to prayer, people who are consistently communing with the Father. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. It's like, don't be like these religious leaders who prayed hypocritically. That word hypocrite could be defined as someone who is like an actor, someone who puts on a show, someone who masks who he really is, someone who gets up in front of people and it's like that person has a mask on, but as soon as that person gets behind closed doors, he takes that mask off and that's who that person really is. You had these religious leaders that would get in front of people and they would pray in order to be seen by others. They wanted to pray in such a way to where people looked upon them and said, oh yeah, you guys are godly men. You're godly. And they were hypocrites because they were praying only to be seen by others. They were on street corners and in the synagogues praying so that people would give them praise. And Jesus says, that's your reward. Just a moment of praise. But you get no reward after that. That's the reward you want? Pharisees, leaders, religious leaders, just an applaud? And he's like, that's your reward. Now, this verse is not teaching that all public prayer is wrong. He's mainly hitting on their motives. We also see in the Sermon on the Mount where the Bible clearly teaches, um, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? But in the verses before, the verse I just read, it says at the very beginning of chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before others. 
in order to be seen by them. So the, the problem is practicing your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. The motivation there is wrong. It's, it, it's craving praise. But that doesn't mean that we can't pray in front of others publicly. We just got finished doing that, right? We do that as a church. Jesus prayed publicly. But when we pray, are we praying to please the Father or are we praying to please man? So it's all about the heart. Just as Pastor Matt pointed out in his prayer, it's all about the motive. And their motives were wrong. And Jesus says, don't be like these individuals. Verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. That alone is convicting, if you ask me. Because to be honest with you, I know a lot of us struggle with our prayer lives. If you admit, it's easy to pray when you're around people, right? It's easy to pray when you're in a small group setting or when you're in certain places. But it's behind closed doors that really reveals whether or not you truly have a prayer life. If a person only prays in the public but is not found praying in private, then when that person prays in the public, he needs to question what are his real motives or what are her real motives. Because the prayers in the public should extend from your prayer life in the private. Our prayer life in the private really reveals whether or not we have a relationship with God. Truly. Because no one can applaud you then. You get no reward from men or women. The only rewards you get, which is the best reward, is the reward that comes from God. An eternal God who gives an eternal reward. He says, pray. Pray in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Oh, if God gives you a reward, what type of reward is that? I don't even need to know what it is. I just need to know that the Father is the one giving it to me. Hallelujah. Verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for the many words. He's like, don't, don't just heap up these empty phrases. The Gentiles, these unbelievers, um, they would pray and they would say these repetitive words and they would pray to these different gods and they would say these words that were repetitive and not only were they repetitive, but these were um, words that they prayed that had empty phrases. Um, they would pray in such a way thinking that certain words were like magical, like they could get God's attention. And he's like, man, don't pray like them. Don't pray like these individuals who are praying these repetitive prayers or praying in such a way like if they say one word over and over again, like it has some type of magic to get my attention. It's like, no, don't pray like that. And as I looked at this verse, I said, man, 
I don't pray like the Gentiles, but how many times have I been around the dinner table and I prayed a prayer over my food because I knew I was supposed to pray? But was my heart really in it? Or was it just empty phrases? Or when I put my kids to sleep, when I pray over them, when I've prayed over them, has it just been empty phrases where it's just a religious thing I do? Or has it really been heartfelt? And I had to search my own heart and come to the conclusion that there has been many times that I've just thrown up prayers. But I haven't done that in reverence. I haven't done that in honor. I've said the words and I've done it out of a religious type of action. And God's not pleased with that. I'm sure if you're honest, many of you can admit the same that you've done that as well. He's like, man, don't, don't heap up empty phrases. Don't do that. Verse 8, do not be like them, talking about the Gentiles. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So he's like, do not be like unbelievers, the Gentiles who pray selfishly for things they want. But pray according to my kingdom, because I know what you need. I know exactly what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of my righteousness, he says, and all of these things will be added. Pray according to my will. I know what you need. In the next five verses, Jesus teaches how we should pray. So he teaches in the first four verses how we should not pray. In the next five verses, he teaches how we should pray. He sets a model for the disciples. And he says this, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. As I said earlier, we have to stop and pause when we even think that we could pray to our Father who is in heaven. Because we were once considered children of wrath. But as I heard my brother Peter pray earlier, because of Jesus Christ, we are now sons and daughters who can now pray to the creator of the universe. This is absolutely incredible that we can have a relationship with the Father. We can have a relationship with God. We can talk to God and he hears us. Not only does he hears, hear us, but he responds. He answers. He hears our cries. He hears when we're going through things. He sees all that's going on in our life. And he doesn't neglect it. When we look at the word father, for some of us, it may be hard. It may be hard for us to view God as a father because maybe you haven't had a father in your life. Or maybe the father that you have had in your life was a bad example. And it puts you in a situation to where you feel like you can't really relate what it means for God to be a good father. Well, if that's the case, I want to assure you that our heavenly father is always good. 
earthly fathers like myself, we fail because we're sinful. Our heavenly father is perfect. And he never, ever sins. He never, ever fails. He never, ever will leave you nor forsake you. He will always comfort you. He will always care for you. His love towards you is consistent. It is unfading. It is unfailing. It does not fluctuate. He will protect you. He will guide you. He will heal you. He will pull you out of the pit. He is constantly there. This is the Father that we can commune with, who loves us, who is mindful of us consistently. And he says this, he says, pray, pray to this being, this Father, this all-knowing being who knows everything about you, even the darkest secrets, and still loves you, still loves you prayed in like this our father in heaven he goes on to say hallowed be your name hallowed be your name pray that his name would be honored pray that his name would be reverenced hallowed be your name name here is the characteristic of God He's saying pray that God's holiness, that God's mercy, that God's wisdom, that God's power, that God's justice, that God's love would be hollowed. Hollowed in Southeast D.C. That his name would be honored in Northeast D.C. In the Deanwood area in Lincoln Heights. That his name would be hollowed in Syria, Syrian refugee camps. That his mercy and love and compassion would be displayed towards them. That his name would be honored in New Jersey, in New York City, in Denver. Pray that his name would be hollowed amongst ISIS terrorists. That his mercy and that his compassion would be displayed towards them and his justice. Pray that his name would be hollowed. And then he goes on to say, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, pray that your kingdom would come, God's kingdom. That God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That what's going on in heaven, (laughs) the worship, the consistent magnifying of who he is, (laughs) that what's going on there would happen here on earth amongst every tribe, every tongue, every people group in the White House. Amongst hip-hop culture, wherever, that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That the reign of Jesus would rule every inch of this planet. And one of the ways that he's accomplishing that is through his children. Even now. 
as we go and proclaim the gospel in different places, talking about his rule and his kingdom and sharing who he is. But when we come to prayer, do we pray God's will for his will to be done? Or do we come to prayer praying a lot of times that our will would be done? We need to come and pray that God's will would be done and that he would conform our will to his will. And to be honest, his will may be something that we really don't like. It may not be his will for you to be in that relationship. It may be his will for you to go and help Pastor Jeremy and the other saints plant the church in Northeast D.C., even though you came here to Southeast. We have to pray that God's will would be done. We have to have a surrendered heart saying, Father, no matter what I want to do, your will, I want to see your will done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. I read that and I was like, I don't think we understand that in America. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't know if we would really pray that if we're honest. We want monthly bread, right? Some of us want, want uh, annual bread, yearly bread. But he's like, no, no, no. He says, pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Back in the time when Jesus was ministering, especially a lot uh, amongst the the lower class individuals, uh, they really had to pray that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And they really had to be dependent upon God to supply their every single need every single day. Look at Israel, even in the wilderness. They had to go from day to day depending upon the Lord to supply them with manna. And he did that every single day faithfully for decades. Now, whether we pray this prayer or not, and whether you have the finances that you need for next week or maybe even for the next year, the truth is there's still many things that you need every single day from God doesn't have to be bread. It doesn't have to be food. But you need God every single day just to give whatever provision you have. And there's times when he gives us those, those things and we don't even thank him for what he has given. He's a faithful God and he's a God that supplies But I think saying, give us this day our daily bread also puts us in a position of humility to recognize that you're the one that provides for me each and every single moment. Here's something else to think about. When it comes to God providing, when it comes to him giving, 
a lot of times the reason why we haven't received is because we just haven't prayed. James makes it very clear. It says this, you have not because you have not asked. For some of us, we just haven't received certain things because we just have not gone to the Father to ask. We haven't came to him and prayed and said, Father, would you do this? And for some of us, we have asked. But as it says in James 4.3, it says, pray for what we need. Um, I'm sorry, ask excuse me, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You spend it on your own passions. So there's some individuals that pray, but because they pray selfishly, and it's because it's self-centered prayers, the Lord doesn't respond. He said, pray for your needs, not for our greeds. So, We have to pray to the Lord with a heart that truly wants to honor him, to do his will, not to lift or exalt ourselves. And when we pray according to his will, he will supply every need that we have. And that's what's going to give us the most joy, the most contentment, the most fulfillment is living according to his will. Verse 12. This verse shocked me. It says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you hear what that's saying? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. When we have prayed that, have we really understood what that meant? Saying, God, forgive us our debts in a way that we have forgiven our debtors. Meaning, if there's people who I have not forgiven, treat me like that in regard to your forgiveness towards me. That is so convicting. And that puts anyone in a position to repent of their sin if they're is any unforgiveness in their heart towards brothers or sisters who, or whoever it may be in the body. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. By saying forgive us our debts means forgive us of our sin. It's you recognizing that you're a sinner. It's you recognizing every single day that you need grace. It's you recognizing every single day that you need the blood of Christ. And when, that, when you recognize that, you extend that to others. You extend that to other people. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, pray that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why? Because we're being tempted all the time. In your workplace, you're being tempted all the time. You just turn on the television and you're being tempted. If you drive in the car and hear certain songs, you're being tempted. Everything around the world is consistently tempting you. Whether you know it or not, you're being tempted. He says, pray that 
you will not enter into temptation. But he's like, man, deliver me from evil. Now, I want to make it very clear. God never, ever tempts anyone. James makes it very clear. Never say that God tempts you because he doesn't. He does test you. It's the devil that tempts you. Remember, Jesus was led in the wilderness, and it says to be tempted by Satan. Satan is the one who tempts, but God does test us. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, the devil tempts, God tests. But even with the temptation, the word makes it very clear that he'll always make a way of escape. So we have to trust him, depend on him, cast ourselves on him consistently and believe that he will deliver us from temptation and the evil one. The last two verses ends by talking about forgiveness. Listen to what it says. For if you forgive others their trespasses or sins... If you forgive others their trespasses or sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. It's very clear. I'm going to read it one more time. For if you forgive others their trespasses or sins, people who have offended you or caused an offense against you, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If we have a hard time forgiving, it's because we do not understand how much we have been forgiven. If we have a problem forgiving others who have sinned against us, it's because we don't understand the forgiveness that has been displayed towards us in us sinning against a holy and righteous God. I want you to look at this verse with me, if you would. Turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 started at verse 31. It says, Let all bitterness... And all wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Verse 32 Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiven one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He's like, man, the way we're supposed to forgive one another is how God in Christ has forgiven us. When you think about 
God's forgiveness towards you, that should motivate you to forgive others. Just think of all of the things that you may have done in your life, things that you would never, ever say in public to people, things you may never, ever even want to think about because of how bad they have been. And to know that God has forgiven you and washed you clean from that and that you're blameless in his sight and righteous in his eyes and pleasurable for him to look upon. He delights in looking upon you because of what Christ has done. For us to now be unforgiven towards others is sinful. So if that's the case, he tells us we have to repent of that. We have to repent of that because living out the gospel is living out the fact that we have been forgiven and therefore we forgive others. When it comes to praying for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, when Jesus told his disciples to pray this way, it's not like he was just telling them to do something that he never did. You guys remember in the garden, right? He's praying, and he's like, if there's any other way, (laughs) if there's any other way, and there was no other way, there was no other way for mankind to be redeemed, because only a perfect, righteous Savior can redeem mankind, and Jesus Christ was and is the only one who was and is able to do it. He says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. This cup of your wrath, let it pass from me. And he says this, nevertheless, not my will be done, (laughs) but your will be done. And in Isaiah, it says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God's will to Christ. He was obedient to God's will, obedient even to the point of death, and God crushed him. God crushed him in the place of sinners. God crushed him so that wicked, rebellious people could be made righteous. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He submitted to the Father's will. And he is the example of what it looks like for us to submit to God's will. Even if it's hard. But because God always has his glory in mind. When Jesus Christ submitted to the Father's will and was crucified. He also glorified his son by raising him from the dead. And given him all glory, honor, and dominion. And the Bible says that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, it's a beautiful thing that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. Because it makes it possible for us in this room to be redeemed, righteous, holy, blameless in front of God. By us submitting to the will of the Father and praying that his perfect will would be done here on earth, he knows things that we don't know. 
As high as the heavens are from the earth, so are his thoughts and ways. I pray that we would be people found praying, God, not my will, but your will be done. That we would be found praying what we read in the disciples' prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. To your name be all of the honor, all of the glory, and all of the praise forever and ever. Amen. 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 Let me pray for us. Father, I just ask God that you would help us, Father, to pray in that way. Help us to pray with your will first being in mind. Help us to not come to you first with our needs, but help us to follow the pattern that we see here in your word, to come to you first in reverence and honor with great affection for who you are. Help us to pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And then, Father, also help us to come to you as a father, a loving father who cares for his children. You tell us to cast our cares upon you. Oh, Father, would you please help us to come in that way. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that you would pour out your grace upon them to repent of their sin, to turn from their sin, and to know you as Father. You have made it possible for us to know you through your Son, Christ. You said this is eternal life, that we may know the only true God in Jesus Christ, your Son, of whom you have sent. Thank you for making a way for us to know you. God, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, would you please, God, open the eyes of their heart to see your glory found in the face of Jesus Christ so that they may know you. And Father, for us who do know you, we want to know you more. We want to know more of your presence, more of your majesty, more of your love, more of your mercy, more of your tenderness, more of your power, God. God, would you please reveal more of who you are and teach us how to pray. I pray this in the name of your matchless, magnificent son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.